Good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Psych War. As usual, I am Dr. Darian. My lovely assistant, Nurse Cyanide, is in the house. Hello. How are you today, Miss Cyanide? I am fantastic. Excellent. Hey. <laughs> are you ready for another episode of the Psych Ward? Yes. I got my, my medical kit here. I'm ready to <laughs> diagnose some things. I uh, greased up. I did the, the full forearm wash. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the doctors do. Nice. You yep. don't you don't want to go into a, a psych ward uh, podcast with dirty forearms. No. And clean. <laughs> my forearms get downright funky from time to time. <laughs> which is strange because I have unusually small forearms. You wouldn't think they would get that dirty. All right, enough about me and my forearms. <laughs> Mandy, who do we have on the uh in the waiting room today? Today we have Jack Torrance. You may know from the movie The Shining and the book, I guess, The Shining as well. He suffers from delusions, um, possible possession, alcoholism, anger issues. <laughs> Wendy, <clears throat> let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. And it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. We're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whatever the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that? Yeah. A whole slew of things. Just a gambit of psychological uh, bad things going on with this guy. Yeah. Uh, now, before we get into into Jack, let me ask you, Mandy, how did you feel about Jack? I'm assuming you've seen the movie. Yeah, and I actually just rewatched it again, too. Very cool. Which version did you watch? The Stanley Kubrick one. Okay, very cool. You know there's, <laughs> you know there's another one, right? No, I was not aware of it. There is. I'm going to tell you right now not to bother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, there's actually a 1998 remake. Oh, and yuck. it is it's one of those <laughs> yeah man it's one of those uh those 9 hour Stephen King made for TV opuses you know what I'm oh, talking okay, about yeah. it was directed yeah. by Mick Garris it's 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 more um it's more accurate to the book to the source yeah. material which is good but the child actor that they got to play uh, da- uh Danny Torrance will make your skin crawl he's <laughs> just such a little Fuck face! I've never wanted to murder a child so bad. <laughs> I was actually rooting. So you're like, get him! Uh, get yeah, him. I'm rooting for Jack in the Overlook in the re- in the remake. I'm like, this kid's got to go, man. He's driving me get crazy. Him with Jack. <laughs> yeah, do something. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not. And the worst part about the the remake is that it was directed by Mick Garris. I don't know if you're familiar with him or his work, but I actually had him on the the padded room a couple weeks ago, and I really wanted to be like that shining remake, Mick. Ah. <laughs> Not so good, right? But I didn't. I wanted to, but I didn't. <laughs> I don't want to burn any bridges with uh, Mick Harris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's talk a little Jack Torrance. Now, have have you read the book, Mandy, at all or no? Um, I have not read that one by Stephen King. I read some of his other ones. I have not read The Shining, but I do know that I guess the movie differs quite a bit from the book. And I guess Stephen King was pretty pissed off about a lot of that. And then you can get into the whole Stanley Kubrick 
Room 237 documentary. Oh, you've seen Fake that. moon landing conspiracy, yeah. Holy <laughs> cow. You want to... That was a really good documentary. It was. I'll, I'll agree to that part. But at a certain point, it felt like they were just like digging for anything yeah. that could possibly yeah. be in any way related to the... At, oh, one, at one point, they were talking about the scene with... Um, What's her name? Shelley Duvall and Scatman Crothers in the freezer where he's showing where mm-hmm. all the food is. And did, did you catch this part where, like, the, the Indian on the... Uh, yeah, it zooms in on, like, the, the products on the shelf and there's the Indian head on one of them. Yeah, and, like, whichever angle the camera is, whether it's looking at uh, Scatman Crothers or Shelley Duvall, they're both... The Indian that's always facing the camera, the Indian is. And I guess that's supposed to mean something. To somebody yeah. somewhere, I don't know, man. I think uh, <laughs> I think we just want to draw some conclusions about the shining. But Stanley Kubrick was pretty nuts, so that's what I heard. I, are you are you a Kubrick fan, there, Mandy? Not really. I think that like he was probably you know he had his artistic vision of things or whatever, mm-hmm. and I think like he probably was like a little bit crackers. <laughs> crackers. Yeah. <laughs> that must be a Canadian thing. Maybe. <laughs> that guy's gone crackers. <laughs> Very cool. I agree. Uh, I like probably 90% of his work. But the thing is about Kubrick is that you have to know your, what you're getting into when you go into a Kubrick movie. It's a lot like David Cronenberg, right? I, I agree. Like, you know what you're getting with Cronenberg. Same thing with, uh, what's his name there? Eraserhead. David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're not in the mood for that kind of movie, it's probably going to drive you crazy. If you're wanting like a story, then you probably want to find something else to watch. Anyway, back to The Shining. I like Jack Nicholson playing a crazy guy. Of course. Just like his regular face because he looks like he's crazy. (laughs) I agree. And every time he smiles, you just think he's either picturing me naked or he's plotting my uh, imminent demise. But uh, the the thing about the di- the main difference between the book and the the Stanley Kubrick adaptation is, I think, I, in my opinion, um, the focus of the character. The book, in the in the sense, is a ghost story. There's ghosts involved. Ghosts are harassing the family, and you know they're 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 making their presence known in various ways. In the movie. One could almost draw the conclusion that it's more claustrophobic. It's more yeah. of a psychological, you know, being locked away in this giant resort and the, the trauma that that will bring, especially if you're already unstable to begin with. Yeah. And one of the things that Kubrick went to great lengths to kind of point out is that none of the quote unquote paranormal phenomenon, with the exception of one, actually happens outside of the heads of the people that are experiencing it. For example, Danny is the only one that ever sees the two girls. Um, All the stuff that happens to Shelley Duvall happens while she's by herself. And the same thing with Jack Nicholson, except the part where he gets let out of the freezer by the ghost of Delbert Grady. Yeah. So in a way, they're actually two completely separate stories. Um, The thing about Jack Torrance, though, and you don't get a lot of this in the movie, is his backstory. Uh, Alcohol, of course raging alcoholic, mm-hmm. uh, had the incident with Danny uh, where he broke his arm and he felt terrible terrible about that, swore off the juice ever since. But the alcoholism leading up to that and what got him to the Overlook, that is a whole, that, that should have been a book or a movie in and of itself <laughs> because it's pretty creepy, man. Um, I won't get into it. I know you didn't read the book, but there's 
quite a few incidents of drunk driving and possible fatalities and things like that that brought him to the breaking point of actually giving up the alcohol. Um, the the catalyst, of course, being breaking Danny's arm. So my yeah. question, my question to you, Mandy, is: Are you in any way sympathetic towards Jack Torrance going into this story? Maybe not, like necessarily going into it, but there is a point where he's like in the bar and he's talking about his son, and he's like, you know, I love the little son of a bitch. You know, I'd do anything for him, mm-hmm. and but you know, he's talking about his wife being like, you know, like basically like kill her, but how he actually loves his son. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, you know, that brief moment where he's kind of on the verge of already going crazy, but he's still talking about like, yeah, he actually does love his son. And then you get to the point where he's like trying to murder him. <laughs> right. Right. And the, 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 the lead up to that is that the hotel wants Danny for his abilities. Yeah. It's using Jack to get to Danny. And the, the other thing, and this is kind of expressed in both versions, the book and the movie and the weirdo remake, there's no alcohol in the Overlook. But yeah. if you watch the movie, especially the Kubrick version, leading, getting into like the, the bottom half of Act 2, he's starting to exhibit signs of being drunk. Yeah. You know? And in the, in the uh, Mick Garris version, he's actually walking around holding a drink. There's no alcohol up there. So that part is kind of wacky. Well, you, it's probably like his brain manifesting it. Right. And I think that actually is a symptom of alcoholism is that they can produce their own drunks in a weird way. Yeah. But that is like a serious alcoholic. You know what I'm saying, Mandy? That's or like, it's the hotel, like, you know, like when people get possessed and stuff. So it's like making them think he's drunk. Well, that would be fun. I wouldn't mind being that kind of possessed. <laughs> you know, just uh, every now and then get hammered for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got a demon in my house. He's actually a pretty cool guy. He just likes to hang out and have a good time. <laughs> Yeah, get drunk together. We throw a lot of parties. We don't even have to drink. He just makes me drunk, and it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, man. So. I'm just the one to talk to. Okay. Let's talk. Let's talk for for a few minutes about the character of Wendy Torrance. Now, Mm -hmm. in the movie, she's displayed as this weak, mild-mannered, kind of mousy thing. Really uh, kind of of annoying, if you ask me. How did you feel about Wendy Torrance? Um, I felt that, like, it didn't... That part didn't feel like that would be someone that Stephen King would write. And I know that he did say, like, he didn't like how she was portrayed in the movie. Right. That felt more like some Kubrick decision than than Stephen King's characters because he does have a lot of like strong female characters in his books so he does it felt like it was taken out 
And it's true. In the book, she's much more um, accusatory, I guess would be a good word. Mm-hmm. Always hounding Jack. Oh, were you drinking? Where did you find alcohol? What did you do to Danny? Anytime anything bad happens to Danny at all, she immediately blames Jack. And that's part of the thing that leads up to his 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 psychological break, I guess, is uh, his just this building resentment for his wife and not being able to get five feet away from her, despite the fact that they have this huge resort. And yeah. he's trying to get this book written at the same time. So I kind of get that. I felt like Kubrick went a little overboard with the mousy, annoying Shelley Duvall. Her, was it just me, or was her performance a bit grating at times in the movie? Yeah, it was. It was pretty hard to watch. I don't know if hard, hard to watch would be a good word, <laughs> a good phrase. But, I mean, like, um, I don't know. I just can't I can't see her as anybody other than olive oil from Pop, the yeah. Popeye movie. <laughs> Yeah, and watching her like smoke cigarettes and stuff, it's like, oh, what, what, what? no, you don't do that. Stop doing that. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe that's just me. Apparently, she actually suffered quite a bit of psychological trauma on the set of uh, Kubrick's The Shining, and that's what I don't know if you've seen recent interviews with her, but she's a mess, man. Yeah, I can see that. She, Kubrick probably like fucked her up pretty good. Yeah, she's like three hundred pounds, and uh, I think she's. Uh, I don't, she's like broke or something. And I think Kubrick's daughter was trying to start some kind of a GoFundMe for her to try to get her some help or something like that. But oh, she wow. she had roles after The Shining, you know? Yeah. She she went on to a, a career. I, mean, I think she did a lot of like children's television or something like that, which seems like a good place for her because yeah. I, I don't know that she's cut out for horror movies, especially coming <laughs> off The Shining. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, no. Um, in the event of like b- being close to a raging alcoholic as the character of Wendy Torrance was and having to put the, the foot down and having to draw the line, would you actually like agree to the job of caretaker of the overlook, knowing that your spouse or whoever you were going up there with was on the brink of alcoholism and had violent tendencies, do you think? Well, it may be like thinking that maybe this will be good for him. Like maybe it's good to get him isolated and away from any sort of outside influence and, and you know, sort of isolate him that way. But then it's also like, yeah, but you're also isolated. So if something happens, you know, you're kind of screwed. Right. I find like it'd be really weird to be up there for all those months, like living in Canada. I'm used to snow and stuff and you're still able to go out. Whereas they're like, you're isolated, you're no one's coming in or out for, for like the whole winter or most of it when like the roads are, you know, covered yeah. in snow. And that's just bizarre to me that, you know, you'd be like, oh, let's just be completely isolated for so long. Well, I mean, you would think that there would be some kind of a fail safe involved. Mm-hmm. Now, the book ends much different than the movie. I don't know if you are familiar with this or not, but in in the end of the book, the whole place explodes. There's there's oh, like okay. the, there's like this boiler contraption in the basement, <laughs> and uh, every like I don't know that's part part of Jack's job was that he had to go down there and relieve relieve the pressure from the boiler because it's it was built in the 1900s, mm-hmm. so it just builds up steam and if you don't bleed it out every now and then it's just going to explode. Well, once he goes into full on demon kill my family mode, he completely forgets about the boiler and that's how Danny and Wendy. Uh, and in the, the book, uh, Dick Holleran actually survives also. Uh, that's how they make their escape is 
he at the last second remembers that he forgot to bleed the boiler, so he has to abandon them and go down to do that, and then the place blows up. But enough about that. Um, <laughs> you would think that there would, I mean, being up there and being secluded and isolated like that, you would think they would have some kind of a failsafe besides just the uh, the radio to the ranger station, right? Yeah. Cause, but I mean, like back then, you know, it's written in the seventies. The movies take, you know, was made in nineteen eighty. Like, what else would you have, really? Right. But I mean, that that that's got to be a thing, and especially that's one of the minor inconsistencies that I found annoying about both the book and the movie. We're one year off the murder suicide of the Grady family under the exact mm-hmm. same circumstances. Do you yeah. th- think maybe we should examine our policy on the caretaker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, another family up there. Yeah. Oh, another uh, struggling alcoholic, too. I'm sure this will just work itself out, boys. We're not going to have any problems here. Well, then you don't have to pay them, right? That's true. But <laughs> <laughs> there is a small chance that they might blow the place up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I like it. I like the idea of being... I, w- I personally would take the job of caretaker for the overlook, but I'm kind of nutty like that. I think my stipulation would be that I go up there by myself. Um, I don't, cause I mean, there's a good chance that I'll go crazy. I'm not an alcoholic or anything, but if I do go crazy, I don't want anybody around me that I could possibly hurt, especially my family. Yeah. But I think I would take a couple of those real sex dolls with me. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm going to need put somebody them in like their individual rooms. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and then I, I, you know, have like, in-depth storylines about how I'm cheating on this one with that one, and we got to keep it quiet and don't let that one know. But um, I think that would be the best way to go, is you want to find somebody that can can tolerate being alone for that stretch of time. Because we're looking at about five months up there by yourself. And on paper, it sounds like a paradise. You got the whole place to yourself. You know, you got all the food you could ever want. No alcohol, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But... That sounds pretty cool until I think the first snow hits, and then you're like, "Oh yeah. Jesus Christ, this place is a prison cell." And There's a lot of places here that are like fly in only in the summer or have like ice roads in the winter. Really? So there is like a lot of isolated ones here in Northern Ontario. Yeah. Does that are there any like resorts up there that are like that? There's fly-in fishing resorts, so they're fly-in only. You have to take, like, a little, like, floater plane into them, and they're on, like, pretty isolated lakes where there's no roads or anything else to get in there. That sounds cool. I would be into that. Is it, like, ice fishing or what? Well, you get, I think it's mainly in the in the summer. But you still... Ones. Oh, so there's no roads going up there? No, there's wow. no roads. Well, how do and they then there's a lot of... They just fly materials in. Wow. You might there might be like boats and stuff too. <laughs> okay. I guess that's a Canadian thing, man. I don't we got roads everywhere down down here. <laughs> well, my mother in law's boyfriend, where we're actually going in a few weeks, they um he has a cabin on the lake up there where they live, it's like crazy far north and it's you have to take like a boat to get to the cabin. There's no road to get to the cabin. So there's this whole lake and it's, you take a boat. And so anything like to build them, they had to like put everything on boats and, you know, haul it all out there. Fascinating. That's gotta be a Canadian thing. We'll build a road up there. (laughs) And then if you want, we'll destroy the road on the way out after we build it. Yeah. But the whole boats and planes thing, I don't know about that. Right on, man. Well, that sounds like fun. Going camping out on the on the woods there. Watch out for the guy in the hockey mask. Yeah. <laughs> I hear he gets around, and so does his mom. Hi, Lloyd. 
A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What'll it be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd. Because I just happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there till next April. So here's what. You slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? <laughs> no, sir. Not busy at all. Good man. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. There's a Crystal Lake around there too. I always forget to take a picture of the sign. Oh, we have we have a Crystal Lake Park here in Reno. Nice. It's actually in a shitty neighborhood, which is kind of <laughs> ironic to me. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But uh, back to the overlook. Would you, Mandy? Mm-hmm. Let's get to, let's get to our new favorite segment. Darian interviews <laughs> Mandy about stuff pertaining to the movie. Mandy, would you take the job of caretaker of the Overlook Hotel for four? What was it five months five, during I the think winter? It's like seven months. It might have been October to me. Yeah. What do you think? Um, you and your husband if, up there. I think that like being like you know a hearty canadian i can we could weather the winter pretty well <laughs> we're used to the winter and seeing them like you know oh there's just a snow cat or whatever it's like yeah like it's not a big deal the snow that they had there's nothing compared to the snow that we get here every winter anyways so i don't think that would be too much of a concern my only concern would be is there enough food to make it through you know the seven months or even just the periods where you can't get out with you know, with the snow blocking all the roads to make sure that there's enough so you can actually be isolated in there. Right. And that, I mean, it seemed like they handled that problem rather nicely with, Yeah. when when they're doing the inventory of all the, the kitchen stuff. Yeah. Um, would you still do it if you knew the, the hotel in question had a violent past? I mean, there's always the chance that it's not going to happen, right? But right. I think that, it, you know, I think that it'd still probably be worth it. It'd be kind of... It wouldn't be something I'd do every year. It'd be like, you know, do it once sort of type thing. What if the pay was good enough to where you didn't have to have a regular job for the rest of the year? Well, yeah, you just do that. Like, I'm I would, in. Yeah. I would do it, yeah. I'm totally in. I would just, uh, like, take out, like, some of those storage pods, whatever you call those. Yeah. Put my crap in there. I'm going to yeah. need, like I said, I'm going to take a couple of those sex dolls. Um, I need I need a good Wi-Fi signal up there because I'm going to be watching a lot of Netflix. And uh, other than that, I'm pretty much good, I think. I'll get, I don't know that I'll get a big wheel, but I will get a bicycle. And ride. I've always, something I've always <laughs> wanted to do was ride a bicycle around a big building. That's on my bucket list. Uh, Mandy, if you were, what would be your approach, if you did take the job, what would be your mm. approach to your husband in the event that you guys started getting on each other's nerves in the Overlook? I would just tell him to go live in like one of the other rooms. That's exactly what I would say that up front, <laughs> even before she gets on my nerves. I'd be like, look, you take the West Wing, pick a room. Don't tell me yeah. which room. I'll take the East Wing. I'll pick a room over there and I will see you twice a day at dinner and breakfast. And that'll be about yeah. the end of that, at least yeah, until exactly. we're on better speaking terms. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, there's this huge, you know, place that they that they're staying in. They're just basically concentrated like one little room. And I get that they're supposed to stay in their little apartment or whatever, but there's a whole space to like get away from each other. It's true, but 
when you have that, I mean, it, but you still can't get away. There's no other yeah. human interaction. And I think that was one of the breaking points of this whole story is that nobody had anybody else to talk to. And this yeah. is before Facebook and all that fun stuff. So when you're up there, once he destroys the radio, you are completely alone. And that's kind of, that, that could, just the knowledge of that, I think, can weigh, weigh somebody down a lot heavier than actual the actual practice of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isolation does crazy things. Yeah, totally. Even if you're in a great big hotel. If you had to take somebody up there besides your husband, and this would include celebrities, uh, pornographic actors, or <laughs> MMA fighters, anybody at all, who would it be? I just bring my dog. That's that's a good that's a good call. <laughs> that's that's a pretty good call. That's, I that, think he's like least likely to get on my nerves. Uh, true, but when when the temperature hits like sub zero and you got to take him outside for a piddle, that's going to be a bit of a problem. Well, I mean, you're inside. Like, just go pee in some corner that I don't have to work about. <laughs> Pick one room as the bathroom room. Yeah, and that's yeah. where that'll that's where that'll go. Go down in the basement. <laughs> totally. Mandy, if you were in need of a, like an escape, you being the hardy Canadian that you are, you could probably mm. just walk right down to, yeah. down to Sidewinder. But yeah. uh, if you weren't, how do you think you would get out of the Overlook minus the snowmobile and minus the uh, CB radio? Well, I was going to say that like having a skidoo would be a better option, but snowshoes will work too. I'm unfamiliar with the practice of snowshoeing. <laughs> They're like basically strapping tennis rackets to your feet. How does that help anything? Because you don't sink in the snow. Really? Walk on top of it. You maybe go down like an inch or two, but you don't really sink. So huh. if you're walking through where there's like big snow drifts or anything, you're walking on top of the surface. I imagine that takes some practice getting used to that. Yeah, because they're pretty big, and you got to kind of learn how to to walk in them. And you know, if you trip and fall on them, it takes a lot to get back up. See, that's good Canadian knowledge right there. Mm -hmm. I should probably, if I were to go in there, I should probably take a Canadian with me, also. Yes. Or maybe I could <laughs> take one of my sex dolls and do like a Canadian flag on her arm tattoo. <laughs> I'll be like, "Come on, uh, Nancy, show me how to." <laughs> Things are going to get weird between me and the sex dolls. I can tell you right yeah. now. You need to learn how to, like, be able to make fire. You need to learn how to walk in, like, snowshoes. You can dig, like, um, like holes in the snow and kind of make, like, a little snow shelter, too, to, to keep out of the wind and stay warm. Do you learn this in Canadian schools? Is that how that... No, like a... I think it's just, like, knowledge that you just pick up. Oh, okay. We don't really learn, like, Canadian survival stuff. It's just something that I think everyone knows. So I'm just an idiot. <laughs> well, you don't really... You don't have like you know two feet of snow there every that's year. true i live in the desert i have to worry about rattlesnakes and sandstorms and that's yeah. about it same as you don't want to eat snow you want to melt it and drink the water because if you eat it you'll get dehydrated really how does yeah. that work to get dehydrated yeah. because you're because it's like ice and you're chewing it and you're using up like more energy to like melt it internally whereas like if you just kind of hold it in your hand melt it and then drink the water it's just like having water that's good Canadian knowledge right there, Mandy. Yep. Yep. I'm definitely putting a Canadian tattoo <laughs> on one of my sex dolls that I'm taking to the Overlook. <laughs> Very cool. Are you a, uh, I assume you're a Stephen King fan, Mandy? Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty big Stephen King fan. I read, you know, some of the books when I was younger and watched like a lot of his movies. So, Do you have a favorite? Um... I don't know. It's hard to say. I used to be a really big fan of like the original It. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I read that book, and I'm glad that they didn't put some stuff into either version of it. I because agree. Because there's stuff in there that should not be on film that I'm I surprised agree. you even wrote. <laughs> make, make you feel dirty there towards the end. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, like... I don't know. I used to always read Firestarter when I'd go to my grandma's and it was funny because it'd be like something that I'd only read on like holidays when I went to, you know, for Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. And so it took me the really long time to, to get through reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know if I have a really favorite one. I just, I like, I like Stephen King because it's more psychological. Nightmares and Dreamscapes is really good. I like that one, the collection of the short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Uh, Skeleton Crew. Um, mm-hmm. the, for some reason, the in Creep Show Two, the installment of the raft and the thing in the lake. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. That thing, that little, whatever you want to call it, vignette, fucked me up for months. <laughs> I saw it when I was in the fourth grade, and I ju- I had like recurring nightmares of waking up in that crud being all over my bedroom floor, <laughs> and now I'm stuck in my bed. I can't get out. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea why. I don't know why that mess. I've at that point in my life, I'd already seen American Werewolf in London and all the Friday the Thirteenth. But the mm. crud in the lake, Mandy, is what does it. That's what kills me. Yeah, it's weird because like I same thing. I grew up watching horror movies, probably a lot younger than I should have been watching them, and I would never. None of them would ever bother me except for the original it and seeing just like the shadow of like Pennywise waving, you know, outside my window, just the shadow of it. it was like the only time I've ever had a nightmare of a horror movie. I agree. That's scary stuff, man. Especially clowns yeah. for a kid. Yeah. That's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Have you watched the original it recently? Um, I think I watched it before going to see the, the first half of the new one. You think it held up? I think it holds up in the fact that it's, you know, for, for the time that it was. And I find that Tim Curry just being the clown with, like, just the makeup is more scary than, like, CGI effects and stuff. Who do you like better, Bill Bill uh, Skarsgård or Tim Curry? See, it's hard because I grew up with the original one. So right. <laughs> I always got to go with, like, Tim Curry. And it's just the thing that bugged me about the new one, before we get too far down this hole, is that, the whole we're going down the hole mandy yeah i'm taking you with me they don't bring up the whole beep beep richie in it and except for one little tiny part in the in the first half of the new one where he's like running away from the clown room and he's like oh beep beep richie but it has no context in the whole rest of the movie Mm -hmm. i think that uh you know with kids these days and even back in the 80s which was probably before your time i think that the the concept of beep beep richie is probably a bit outdated i mean but it's it's, source material. <laughs> it is, and it's pertinent to the story. But if we're gonna up, yeah. if we're gonna update the story, we're gonna have to let go of a few things. I'm not defending the decision. I agree, it's a big part of the story, and it's something that kind of echoes throughout. But I don't see kids in the '80s saying something like "beep beep, Richie." I think they're more like "shut the fuck up, Richie" or something like that. You know? Yeah, but if you're going off of like the book, then that's true. It's in there a big part of it that's it was always for me it was like it's a you know one of those like nostalgia things or whatever because it's like that's part of the movie beep beep richie you know it's one of those lines yeah no i agree it's uh it's kind of a iconic phrase throughout the movie which i dig mm-hmm. mr grady you were the caretaker here i recognize you 
saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And uh, then you blew your brains out. Um, I like the I like the new one. You know, if I had to pick a favorite Stephen King book, I've read I, probably sixty percent of his stuff. I think probably um, I think probably The Shining. Man, I think uh, no, I take that back. I'm actually going to go Carrie. Um, Carrie's really good. I like I like the movie. I like the remake. Uh, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with the remake. But there's some key elements that were left out of the mo- both movies. Actually, all three movies. There's actually a 1996 remake of Carrie floating around starring Angela Bettis. That one is oh, horrible. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't even bother with that one. And, that, and they, they changed the ending. They, and they had her live and her friend uh, helps her escape. It's, it's really bad. But um, I would probably go Carrie. Um, yeah, I think I would. The book is better because she's much more malicious in the book. Like, for example, I know this has nothing to do with Jack Torrance or The Shining, <laughs> but like I said, we're go- we already went down the hole. In the, yeah. in the book, like, she actually, after the big, you know, pig bloodbath, she actually mm-hmm. runs out of the auditorium and, like, leaves and everybody's laughing at her. She actually makes it across the parking lot and trips in the football field and lays there for a few seconds to think about it and then... She decides to go back in and start wrecking shop, which to me makes it makes it a lot more malicious and evil as opposed to yeah. the, the knee jerk reaction we got in the movies. Yeah, but you can see that. Yeah, and she's she's kind of a bitch about it too. I mean, she's a bitch leading up to it, but you know, you see her get more and more sinister and cynical as the story goes on, and then by the time everything goes down, she's in full on "I'm going to kill everybody" nuclear bomb <laughs> mode, Mandy. All right, well, this concludes our favorite segment. Darian interviews Mandy about uh, the Overlook Hotel and stuff. Have you ever considered... Well, no, it doesn't. I got more questions, actually. <laughs> Have you ever considered going to the Stanley Hotel, Mandy? I think that I think it'd be interesting to go there. I think just for the, the experience of it. That's where the uh, Mick Garris movie was shot, at the actual Stanley, as opposed to the other hotel, which I believe is in Oregon. Probably. Um, I actually would love to go there. They have like a, uh, Stephen King film festival there once a year. Oh, nice. That's love, pretty cool. I'd love to do that. I don't think they close it down during the winter though. I could be wrong about that. Um, that would be cool. I think, I think that is going to conclude our new favorite <laughs> segment, Darian interviews Mandy. All right, Mandy, you got anything else on Jack Torrance or the Torrance family or the shining or anything else? I think that. I mean, I think it's a really good story as like like a ghost story and a psychological story. And I think that that's why, you know, people give Kubrick, I guess, a bit of a break or a pass on the movie being bizarre in mm-hmm. some parts or the conspiracies because it is the the good psychological horror that is Stephen King's stories. And that's something that I think... Uh... Kubrick could have could have done a little more of and that's Jack yeah. Jack Torrance's backstory. He mm-hmm. had a effed up childhood. His alcoholism was hereditary. It got handed down from his dad. He lost two brothers in the Vietnam War. Um he just a series of fights and uh disorderly conduct charges and DUIs. Well, DUIs weren't that big back then, but he had some some run-ins with the law. 
Um, and then the, something else we didn't talk about is what happened, what, how he lost his previous job at uh, teaching at the prep school in Vermont, mm-hmm. which brought him to Colorado into this uh, this Overlook situation. And I, while I don't actually feel sympathetic for Jack Torrance, I feel like he made a lot of mistakes. Um, I do. It, it's more understandable to me seeing his character trajectory and how he got uh, to kill his family mode. Now, I'm not condoning that actually, but <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can see I, it. Kind of, it makes sense to me as opposed to you know, ghost driving him insane in the middle of the night and bringing out the worst in him. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. Uh, that being said, I dig the movie. I, I dig. I'm I'm excited for uh, Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel. Yeah. I'm gonna see. I'll love to see where that goes. I'm gonna start reading that book next week. Oh, I love you and McGregor. Right, sexy son of a bitch he is. <laughs> um, I think that uh, yeah, I think that uh, had Jack survived his encounter at the Overlook, he would definitely be looking at a divorce, probably some criminal charges. Yeah. Um. Child, child endangerment being one of them, um, and the the abilities of Danny Torrance and his like whatever you want to call it, premonition, second sight, his shining, shining, <laughs> if you will. Uh, that's really the only reason that that him and his mom and Dick Holleran were able to survive that encounter was that yeah. he he could kind of see things a little bit before they happen. So that being said, Mandy, uh, how do they get a hold of us here in the psych ward? So you can find us at PsychWordPod on Twitter and Instagram and hit us up if you have, you know, ideas for anyone else that you want to want to have us talk about on the show. Absolutely. There are bazillions of horror villains out there and we mm-hmm. are going to get to all of them. Mandy. Yes. There's a long-term yes. commitment. I'll be locked up. <laughs> yes. God damn it. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you in a couple weeks with another episode of the Psych Ward. Mm-hmm.